Hello, everyone. This morning, we've got a great guest for you. We've got Ben Rolfe. He's the CEO of the Asia Pacific Leaders Malaria Alliance. We're talking today about some of the just despicable behaviors of, of people and organizations who are selling fake or poor malaria drugs, risking the lives of countless people around the world. You don't want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi. Ben, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, malaria is a, a huge problem. It's... Uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time on polio. My audience is familiar with me talking about polio a little bit. We, uh, you know, last year there were 22 cases of polio in the whole world. Give us the situation with malaria. It's not the same, is it? It's not the same. We are way behind where we are with polio. In fact, we've learned a lot from the polio community about how they have been so successful in getting close to eradicating that disease. Um, I work primarily in Asia Pacific, and we have 21 countries that are still malaria endemic. We have 30,000 deaths a year, 16 million cases a year, and in fact, 2 billion people at risk, 2 billion people at risk. Um, but, you know, malaria used to cover the entire world, including Europe, North America, uh, and everywhere else apart from really Mongolia and Antarctica. So it's retreated, and it's retreated really now to the hinterlands, uh, but we have some way to go. Yeah, wow. And when you say there are 16,000 deaths a year, that's just in your region there in Asia, right? Uh, so 16 million cases and 30,000 deaths, but that is just in our region. Globally, we still see a child dying every two minutes from malaria, which is wholly unacceptable in this day and age. Yeah, so it's something like 350, 400,000 deaths a year from malaria. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. Just uh, heartbreaking statistics when we uh, take a minute to focus on them. Uh, I was shocked to learn that there is uh, a phenomenon uh, where people are selling fake or bad drugs. Tell us about that activity and the problems it's creating. Well, it is a really worrying issue and um, the threat is not existential. You know, we have now seen growing resistance to our one frontline drug against malaria, which has revolutionized malaria treatment throughout the world, saved millions of lives. This is a drug called artemisinin. It comes from the Chinese uh, sweet wormwood. Um, it was developed, in fact, during the Vietnam War by the Chinese to treat North Vietnamese soldiers. And it has now revolutionized our global approach to malaria treatment. The tragedy is that the misuse of that drug and the sale of that drug by unscrupulous vendors in inappropriate forms is leading to multi-drug resistant malaria. We are losing the one drug we have that has taken us so far in this road towards global elimination. So firstly, just to emphasize the scale of the problem. In the Greater Mekong subregion, we have seen extraordinary success. It is an incredible good news story. We've gone down from millions of deaths to just nine deaths in the whole of the Greater Mekong subregion. That's Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Myanmar, and Thailand. We've seen extraordinary progress, but we are now seeing a resurgence. The disease is coming back because the drugs are failing. And this is wholly due to the misuse of these life-saving drugs. 
So how, how are we being misused? Well, firstly, we're creating opportunities for the misuse of this drug. You know, when we see stockouts, when we see rural health clinics that don't have availability of our quality uh, government procured drugs, it just creates an opportunity for unscrupulous vendors to come in and plug that gap. And they often do that with cheap, low quality drugs and particularly either fake medicines or what we call artemisinin monotherapy, which is the artemisinin drug used on its own without a partner drug. You know, we use the drug in combination with another drug so that the parasites cannot evolve around the drug. They can't evolve a, re a resistance to it. If you've got two drugs used together, the parasite will die from one, and if it doesn't die from one, it'll die from the other. The problem is that we have vendors, uh, particularly from Asian companies now, producing these drugs and selling them in the private sector. And of course, as we know, in Asia, the private sector is the major provider of healthcare services. So governments are doing their best, and the results have been amazing. But we have an increasing problem of these substandard drugs being available. And we're seeing the results show up literally in cases and deaths uh, every day. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I see, see the, the problem. So if you're selling Artemis alone, even if it successfully treats one person or some of the people treated with it, some of the people, um, the, the malaria actually uh, evolves a little bit, develops some immunity to the drug, and now is passed on in the immune form. Whereas if you treated it with two drugs, the, the uh, virus would die, right? And there well, wouldn't be any passed on in a mutated form. So that's right. It, it actually really, the, the process of natural, natural selection that underlines the whole malaria story is extraordinary. And for example, if you look at bed nets, which again have saved millions of lives, you know, most of the deaths we see from malaria are under fives. And having a family see, sleeping under a net prevents infected parents passing on malaria to their children by mosquitoes that might be flying around the room. And it's had incredible results globally. But as we use bed nets, mosquitoes are biting earlier. They have evolved to learn. They're not gonna get a meal at night. And so they're starting to bite earlier. You know, this is just how natural selection plays out. And we see the same in terms of malaria, the response to the malaria parasite to drugs. If they're just dealing with one drug, over time they will evolve around it. And so we use this partner drug. The challenge now is that 30% of malaria drugs in um, low middle income countries are either fake, poor quality, substandard. And that is a huge problem, 30% of drugs. Now you imagine, you're a mother, you have a sick child, they have fever, they're extremely sick, you take them to a, to a often private clinic seeking treatment, you get your pills for your hard-earned money, and often these are, you know, malaria is a disease of the rural poor, so often, uh, you know, with hard-earned money, and those drugs turn out to be fake. It is, you know, speaking obviously personally, it is unbelievable that people would engage in, in activity like that. But the challenge is, of course, finding an effective response. And the good news is that Asia are starting to step up. Countries in Asia are starting to step up to improve their regulatory systems, improve their market surveillance. So we are increasingly catching these drugs. We need to do much more, but there is a response, and that is at least some good news. 
what is the what are those countries doing about making sure that high quality drugs are adequately available? Well, there's a, there, there are a number of things. Firstly, we have to acknowledge the incredible role of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria. You know, this is a $12 billion fund that has revolutionized the way the world responds to communicable disease uh, with incredible results. And a lot of people know that the Global Fund uh, support interventions in countries. They provide the cash with co-financing from government. So when they put a dollar on the table, the government's put a dollar also, and that has led to incredible results. But the Global Fund has also done some amazing work together with the World Health Organization to improve procurement. So countries now have access to pre-qualified drugs that have been tested, approved by the World Health Organization, and then the Global Fund will only allow governments to procure drugs off that list. So firstly, it means that the global supply chains have been massively strengthened by the Global Fund. And governments that are now, the uh, drugs that are found in government clinics, 99% they're gonna be high quality and appropriate. So that is a revolution, it's fantastic. The challenge now is applying the same standard to the private sector. And part of the work my organization does, the Asia Pacific Leaders Malaria Alliance, is working with governments to improve their regulatory systems so that they are better able to identify fake drugs, they have better lab systems to identify drugs um, technically, and they are working with Interpol, they're working with the private sector to stop these drugs being imported in the first place. This week you're in New York for the UN General Assembly. Tell us about the work you're doing there this week. Well, part of our organization's mandate is to support heads of government in their aspiration to eliminate malaria. So we work with the East Asia Summit, which is a, a regional grouping of 18 uh, heads of government in the Asia region. And they have committed to eliminate malaria from the whole region by 2030. And our job is to help them do that. So we have a small team in Singapore. We track government progress. We reward leadership when we see, for example, Sri Lanka eliminating malaria for the first time in human history two years ago, most of which was done during a civil war. Incredible. China, zero cases of malaria for the first time in human history uh, last year. Malaysia, no indigenous cases of malaria this year so far. Unbelievable unbelievable progress. Our job is to shine a light on that and make sure that where leaders are stepping up, that leadership is recognized and hopefully that crowds in additional support and leadership from the region. And the UN General Assembly, this region was a fan of this week, was a fantastic example. We saw India committing to accelerate their elimination and to eliminate the disease before 2030. The Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands made a personal commitment to lead and accelerated progress to rid the Solomon Islands, uh, which has one of the highest rates of malaria in the world. Um, incredible leadership, incredible momentum behind it. Um, we also saw the Global Fund talk about their replenishment. And for us, one of the most critical things happening over the next 12 months is the replenishment of that $12 billion fund that has saved so many hundreds of millions of lives globally. And if we can get this um, sweet spot of strong political commitment from the region, strong domestic financing, so governments are doing more, and that incredible um, leveraging effect through the Global Fund, that I have no doubt we can eliminate this disease by 2030. What is the process, the model for eradicating malaria? Uh, can it be done? Can it really be eradicated from off the face of the earth? Well, you know, history proves the point. If you look at um, the shrinking malaria map, 100 years ago, Europe had malaria. 
Um, you know, Australia had malaria, the US had malaria, you know, we have seen this retreat now to be a disease of the rural poor, and they say where the road ends, malaria starts. And so the force of history is also behind us. As countries develop, you look at Thailand, for example, Thailand have had amazing success with their malaria. And a lot of that is down to hard work and the increasing strength of their health system. But also people are moving out of villages, the villages are getting uh, better managed, dealing with standing water. You know, the force of history is with us, which is the first uh, really bit of good news. The other thing is that we have seen the cost of the interventions absolutely plummet. A test for malaria costs a dollar. A whole course of treatment costs a dollar. A bed net you can now get for under four dollars. So if you look at Sri Lanka, how did Sri Lanka manage to eliminate malaria during a civil war? Well, they deployed a dollar test and a dollar treatment, and they managed to share nets across the country, even across conflict lines, to save their kids. And with hard work and vigilance, they eliminated it two years ago. Um, you know, so we have proof of concept. We have an incredibly simple package of interventions. So I have no doubt it can be done. Absolutely no doubt at all. It's, it's really inspiring work. Um, one of the things that uh, seemed to be helpful in the fight against polio was the involvement of Rotary. Uh, you know, that, that million plus network of volunteers uh, seemed to make a difference. Uh, do you have a partner like Rotary involved in the malaria fight uh, or is it the World Health Organization and your organization and similar ones around the world? How's that? It's a really good question, and I, I completely concur with your, your view on the role of Rotary. And actually, um, I have a lot of experience in Papua New Guinea where Rotary have an extremely strong presence and have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. And in Papua New Guinea, there's actually an organization called Rotarians Against Malaria that really single-handedly just decided they were going to make sure bed nets were distributed across the entire country. You know, Papua New Guinea government capacity is somewhat constrained. They have a very constrained budget. And the Rotarians just decided that they were going to step in and fill that gap and have really a very small number of individuals have made a massive difference to the lives of many hundreds of thousands of people, uh, and particularly children who, who, who suffer the, the brunt of the disease. So, you know, the impact that groups like Rotarians can have is extraordinary. And the thing about malaria is disease of the rural poor is it absolutely relies on that last mile mobilization. The vast majority of malaria treatments are delivered by relatively unqualified village health workers, often women who volunteer to help their communities by testing people if they've got fever, and if the test proves positive, giving them a course of drugs and telling them how to use it. Very simple and incredibly effective. So that kind of mobilization is absolutely essential for malaria elimination. It's, it's what did it in Sri Lanka. It's the Chinese whole primary healthcare movement that revolutionized, you know, starting with barefoot doctors, now to almost universal health coverage of core health interventions in China. It is that model that gets us where we need to go. And your point about Rotarians is exactly right. Yeah, fantastic. What are you most proud of having accomplished so far, Ben? Well, look, there are many priorities in this region. And if you look at the agenda for the East Asia Summit with this annual leaders meeting, they're talking about the South China Sea, they're talking about terrorism, they're talking about free trade, movements of populations, you know, the things that occupy heads of government and foreign ministers. I think what this movement 
um, the Asia Pacific Leaders of Malaria Alliance, which is not an organization, it is an alliance of heads of government, our small secretary are just there to support them. Them choosing to turn their attention to malaria, um, them choosing, and particularly I, I acknowledge here the Australian government and the government of Vietnam that started this whole endeavor off. You know, the Australian government chose in their bilateral meetings with the region when they could have been talking about trade, they could have been talking about the agricultural or mining sector, the foreign minister chose to devote a bit of their political capital to talk about malaria. And the result of that is 18 countries. In fact, now if you count the Pacific, 23 heads of government behind this historic endeavor of malaria elimination. Now, that is an extraordinary achievement. We played a small part in brokering it, but it was the governments themselves that have taken it forward. And it's the governments themselves that have doubled the amount of domestic financing behind it. So, you know, we have this great momentum. We have money behind it. We have goodwill, both of the leaders and organizations like Rotary and these incredible army of community health workers that are delivering on the ground. So I think it is an amazing story. It is an epic story, actually. And when we get to the point of elimination in 2030, it will be an achievement more important than putting a man on the moon. That's great perspective for us to keep. Ben, what is the most important lesson you've learned from your experience fighting malaria? There is one really clear lesson, and that is that health is everyone's concern. If we solely rely on ministries of health, we will not eliminate polio, we will not eliminate malaria. It requires leadership from the head of government. It requires engagement from the Ministry of Finance to fund it, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to manage cross-border, to encourage a bit of peer uh, competition, if you like, for, for, for countries to eliminate. And I can give you a story when we spoke to um, Aung San Suu Kyi uh, a couple of years ago. The first question was, how's Thailand doing? And the response from the head of the World Global Malaria Program was, well, uh, slightly better than Myanmar. And immediately the response was to the health minister, right, we're going to redouble our efforts. And if you look at what Myanmar have achieved in the last couple of years, it's unbelievable. The graph is just plummeting. And it is purely to do with those three agencies, foreign affairs, finance and health, coming together to drive the agenda. That is a lesson. If as an advocacy organization, all you do is take money from the maternal health budget and give it to the malaria budget, you, that is not a win. What we are trying to do with malaria is use this compelling case and this great success story to build political support for primary health care and for the welfare of the rural poor. And I think that is, is my main take home message is we fight on the fronts that we are most competent and capable to do in our case, malaria, but we keep the big picture in mind. And I think increasingly that is the way that the global public health community are working and is extremely welcome. Ben, why did you end up doing this? Uh, you're obviously an extraordinarily capable individual. You could be making a fortune in Silicon Valley or the, you know, the financial centers of the world in London, now Dublin <laughs> or New York. Uh, why are you battling Malaysia, uh, malaria in, in Singapore? Well, I've been incredibly fortunate personally to spend nearly 20 years living and working in developing countries. So um, I have uh, lived and worked in Tanzania, Nigeria, um, Malawi, Eritrea. I've seen firsthand the impact at community level. 
I've also had the privilege to spend nearly 10 years in Asia and seen this extraordinary growth story. Um, you know, every time I visit Phnom Penh, Vientiane, uh, Hanoi, there are more and more skyscrapers and more and more development. And even in rural Cambodia, I visited rural Cambodia about two months ago with a delegation of Australian parliamentarians. And, you know, these are poor communities, but they are radically different to what I saw 10 years ago in Cambodia. The kids look healthy. They're in school. The houses are looking decent. You know, development is happening. Uh, but some populations are being left behind. And malaria is a disease of the rural poor, a disease of communities that are being left behind, but where we can make radical progress. And as a public health professional, there is nothing more exciting than having a challenge. You know, it is now 12 years from 2030. I mean, what a privilege in a career to be able to take a specific issue and see it through to its ultimate resolution, not within a career, but within 12 years. That's an incredible privilege and something that gets me up every morning. Yeah, that's wonderful. Ben, what's your superpower? My superpower is being able to answer 100 emails in about 20 minutes. <laughs> You got to teach me that one. <laughs> it's, it's good. I can tell you it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We know you're extremely busy and are grateful that you'd make time for us. Before you go, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about the Asia Pacific Leaders Malaria Alliance? Sure. And how they well, can connect with you personally. Firstly, Google is always good. If you type in Asia Pacific Leaders Malaria Alliance, you will get to us immediately. Uh, if you look at the World Health Organization or Global Fund websites, they also have very compelling cases to talk more about malaria. I'd also recommend one other website, which is called Shrinking the Malaria Map. It's managed by the University of California, San Francisco, and it is a really accessible platform to show the amazing success we have had historically, and just this extra surge effort that we now need to uh, see through to the end game. So shrinking the malaria map is a website I would highly recommend. Fantastic. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We wish you every success in eradicating malaria from Asia and the rest of the world. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to me about this. All righty, let's do some good. A caring crowd. We believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devonthorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.